Hey, so this week we'll be studying out of the book of Genesis. What chapter? Not yet three. Two, that's right. We're still actually one and two. This is like our 12th week in, uh, in one and two. So we'll eventually get to three. Um, there's so much there, right? So this, uh, just like everything, really, the first three chapters of the Bible covers really every important thing in the Bible, how to live and uh, salvation and God's plan for our lives or where we came from, where we're supposed to be going. And, and so this week, the topic is, what should we eat? So let's eat, right? So right there out of uh, God's original plan for us on how he made us. So this is an instruction book. The first three chapters are the instructions for heaven, for salvation, for life, for happiness, for uh, marriage, for rest, for vacation. Everything uh, is summed up here. And uh, so we'll be looking at some other chapters, some verses out of chapter 1, chapter 2. And we'll be looking at almost the entire chapter 5 and, uh, and then scattered verses throughout the rest of the Bible. All right, so let's jump into this. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. All right, it's a pretty plain, right? They're right from the beginning. This is your food. This is what I have given to you. This is what... As a, Blessing that God has gifted to us. He has given it to us. This is, right, lays it out. This is your food, right? This is your menu. Uh, I can't really say it any, any clearer, any plainer than that. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, in case we missed it in chapter 1, he reiterates it. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So there are two chapters and two Verses telling us what is food. There are some things that are food, and there are some things that are not food. Right? Rocks are not food, right? And there are other things that people will put in their mouth that are not food. God tells us what is food. And then chapter 3, after the fall, chapter 3, verse 18, Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. All right, so three chapters, three verses in the first portion of the Bible. God has to say it three times. I think there's a purpose and a reason that he says it three times. Right? He's emphasizing it here uh, strongly for us to know how he originally created us. He knows us best, and he knows what's best for us. This is the owner's manual uh, for mankind, for life and happiness and peace. And, you know, as we looked at those there's other texts, right? So you look at those oranges. Don't those oranges just look beautiful? Yeah. Right? And we live in Florida. We used to have orange trees all over the place. Now we have condominiums. But beautiful oranges growing, you know, and then uh, this other picture of the peaches. I mean, you can just reach out and grab one of those, right? Can you just picture yourself biting into one of those and just the juice just running down your arm, right? And the sweetness. And even with the thorns and the thistles. Right? Even if risking getting a little prick in your finger, you'd still grab one of those, right? If you're walking on a trail or growing in your backyard, you'd grab one of those, pop those in your mouth, right? Pop, 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 right? Yeah, sweet and juicy. You're going to get some purple on your skin there, right? A little bit, or maybe even on your shirt. Wouldn't matter, right? You'd be happy anyway, right? That's how God blessed and created it. And even now with the 
sin of thorns and thistles, he's still got God's goodness to us. And now in chapter 5, and like I said, this is basically a summary of the whole entire chapter. goes over the genealogies of Adam and the children after that. And so all the days of Adam were 930 years. All the days of Seth were 912, so a little bit less. All the days of Enos were 905, a little less. And then the days of Canaan, but then there's a little upkick, right? The 910, then all the days of whatever this guy, uh, 895, down a little bit. He didn't make the 900 mark. And then all the days of Jared, 962, now going back up. And then Enoch, he's still alive today, right? So I don't know if you can put a measurement on that. And then, um, and then his son, Methuselah, 969. That's even seven years longer than his grandfather. And then Lamech, 777. And then all the days of Noah were 950. Right? And so towards the end there, we have three that are even higher than Adam. And Adam lives all the way to Lamech. So all those generations there are getting the story of, of creation and, and what God said and God walking with them in the garden and, uh, and their fall and uh, all. They're able to tell all these generations firsthand all the way up to Lamech. And Lamech is like 63 years old when, he, when Adam finally dies. And, uh, and so that story is passed all the way there um, in all those generations. Now, this is covering 2,000 years of Earth's history. Right? That's like one-third of Earth's history right there in this one chapter. You know, as we you know, think, there's not much mentioned about those first 2,000 years. This is it, the first five chapters. That's it. You know, and a lot of it there, the first three chapters all take place, you know, in a relatively short period of time. And so basically 2,000 years of history is condensed here into this one chapter. Now, Lemech, now why did Lemech only have 777 years? Well, we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say uh, why. But one thing we are able to figure out by counting the numbers and looking at the numbers, he dies shortly before the flood the period before the flood. And so it could be, and maybe he wasn't on board with God's plan, and he was a discouragement and distraction to Noah's message and to those that were building the ark, and God just needed to get him out of the way. I mean, that might be the only reason why everyone else lives basically 900 years and over, and he's only 700, only 770 years, 77 years. And so that could be why. Methuselah dies the year of the flood, but you can understand it, 969 years. <laughs> I mean, uh, it'd be hard to go through that uh, whole flood experience and the time in the ark and after that. And so God in mercy takes him the year of the flood, uh, but his son uh, Lemech, Noah's father, uh, gets taken a few years before that. And, and so that might be a reason why uh, his numbers don't quite make it as long as all the rest. So that's quite a, quite a, a series there. Now we have it here, it's, I'm going to put it in a chart, so we can see that same thing in this chart, and their heights represent their ages, right? So you see there towards the end, there's an uptick, Methuselah, 969, and you know, every uh, 
trivia, Bible trivia, who's the oldest man that ever lived, and oh, Methuselah, 969 years, as if that's super old, like, you know, that's a really, really old, but it really isn't. It's only seven years uh, older than his grandfather. It's only 40 or so years longer than Adam. And with the comparison of how long the average for all these guys here, except Enoch, of course, and Lamech, and again, well, we just explained why, uh, 929 years average. That's the average. <laughs> the average is one year less than Adam. And so, that, so for Methuselah, he's only like 3% higher than the average. So for like today's standards, right, so if the average age is, I don't know what, 80, I think it's less than that, but let's say 80. If the average age is 80, then he lived 83 years, right? like 3% more, right? So that's not a big deal, right? You say if someone, the average age is 80, someone living 83, you not go, wow, right? And so 969 really wasn't a wow for everyone else. It's just 3% longer than everyone else. Um, so all of them living basically 900 and above years during that time. Now we do notice here that they started to dress more modestly as they got closer to the time of the flood. You notice that? I think maybe that was just the artist interpretation there on that, but, uh, but, uh, but there was no, it's not like a gradual down of age, right? So there was a little down, but then a back up. So there's no necessarily pattern going on here of a growing lessening in age, right? Because again, even they're higher, and these three at the end there are higher than Adam at the beginning. And so, but then the flood takes place and something very dramatic takes place. Let's take a look at that. Boom. Going the generations right after Noah. Boom, 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 boom. Like in seven or eight generations, they're down to like 140 years. Now they're obviously reason that maybe the flood caused the earth to go off a rotation or the, the atmosphere to change. It didn't rain before and so now they get rain. Some other different things maybe uh, took place. But the only thing the Bible specifically says that was different from Noah to after Noah, before Noah to after Noah, was that God began to allow them to eat meat. That's the only thing that's mentioned specifically in the Bible. So for 2,000 years, well really the flood took place 300 years before Noah died. He lived another 300 years. So until the flood was uh, 1,700 years. So for 1,700 years, the only instruction that was given from God was those three verses we read in verse chapter 1, chapter 2, and verse, chapter 3. The fruit of the field and the herbs, they shall be to you for food. That was it. For 1,700 years, like I say, close to 2,000 years, we go to the end of Noah's life, 2,000 years. One-third of Earth's history. And then at the, after the flood, now how many animal, how many of each kind of animal, another little trivia question, how many of each kind of animal did Noah bring into the ark, that God told Noah to bring into the ark? Two? No. Very good, very good. That's right, that's right. Most people don't know that. Very good. You can ask most ministers, they would say, two is the popular right, two by two, right? But the Bible says seven of every clean animal 
and two, or one pair, of every unclean animal. So God made a very clear distinction there. And there's a reason. After the flood, Noah offers sacrifices. So they need to have clean animals for the sacrifices. And also, after the flood, there's no apple trees, there's no orange trees, right? It would take years for trees to grow again. And even a season or so, you know, for, for, um, for crops to grow. And so God then began to allow uh, meats to be eaten, but even there, it's uh, with uh, the clean meats and the difference between the clean meats and the unclean meats. And really, that's the only difference. And then we see this dramatic, very dramatic change in the lifespan. So, so for one-third of Earth's history, that was how God laid it out. And the next time we come to when God is fully in control and choosing the diet for his children, in Exodus chapter 16, verse 35, it says, the children of Israel ate manna 40 years. And in Numbers chapter 11, verse 7, manna was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. That sounds good, right? Yeah. So the children of Israel, that's what they ate for 40 years. And not only the children of Israel, but the adults of Israel ate that as well. And so they made things of it. It says in uh, Numbers 11, verse 8, the people gathered it and ground it in mills and beat it in mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. So they came up with a variety of different ways to prepare this manna. The Bible in another place calls it angel's food. Right? So whether it was because it was delivered by angels or it was the same food that angels ate or whatever, but uh, this wonderful manna that God provided. And so they had to come up with unique things on how to make manna, especially like for the holidays. And so for Purim, they had manna, uh, manna habantashans. And on Shabbat, they made manna challah bread. And then for Passover, manna matzah. And then the creative ones had manna banana bread. <laughs> and for a uh, international cuisine, they had manna Italian bread, and my favorite was the manna bagels, right? So, so whatever variety they could come up with, they, uh, they, you know, for 40 years, I'm sure they were experimenting with everything uh, with manna. Now, there was one portion during those 40 years that the Bible talks about. It's recorded in the Torah, but also in the book of Psalms, Psalm 78. So in verse 17, it gives us a little bit of the history. It says, they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. They tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God provide flesh for his people? So God is providing manna directly from his table. And they were unhappy with that. They wanted flesh. And so God gave them what they wanted, and they died with it between their teeth, many of them. And according to the psalmist, it was a sin for them to ask for that. So again, so we have the first almost one-third of Earth's history, God saying, this is what your diet is. When he is directly feeding us, he gives us this special diet. And, uh, but he gave them what they wanted. And kind of like today, this uh, doctor talking with his patient and says, 
So you have two choices. We could perform triple bypass surgery, where we take a vein out of your thigh, open up your chest so we can sew the vein into your coronary artery. This costs more than $100,000 and will keep you laid up for at least two months. Or we could put you on a vegan diet. And the patient says, a vegan diet? Gee, doc, that sounds pretty extreme. <laughs> right? you know, so that's how we look at things, right? You know? Oh, uh, triple bypass surgery, open up my leg, pull out a vein, open up my chest, do this major surgery. That's not extreme. But changing how I eat, that's extreme, right? And that was basically the problem there in the wilderness. They thought it was too extreme. And into heaven, the Bible tells us how well, when God again is giving us food directly from his table, he tells us in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 21, they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And in Revelation 22, verse 2, on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, right? So nothing will die there. The animals won't die. Won't be eating flesh. And so for the first almost 2,000 years of earth's history, God gave us this diet for all of eternity. And for a short period of time, 4,000 years, he has given us an allowable diet to add on to it. But for eternity, even the animals will be vegetarians eating whole foods, right? They'll be eating the herbs of the field as well. And that's how God's plan, and that's what we're looking at right here in these first three chapters. What was God's original plan so that we know where to go back to, how, where God is taking us, where God's leading us, because he's leading us back to the promised land, right? Back to the Garden of Eden experience. That's his plan, if we will allow him to. So, there is three basic diets mentioned in the Bible. One that we've looked at so far, the ideal diet. And there's an acceptable diet that we will look a little bit further at. And then there is a definitely unacceptable diet, right? So you don't eat rocks, you don't eat poison ivy, right? So there's some things that are just unacceptable. And there is this acceptable with conditions. And then there's the ideal, again, like I said, we just looked at. Okay, so let's look a little bit at uh, this acceptable diet. Deuteronomy 14.6, you may eat every animal with cloven hooves that choose the cud. Okay, so it has to have these two conditions. It has to have a split hoof and it has to chew the cud. And so here we see these deer chewing the cud, right? And so they regurgitate their food. Cows have like several bellies, several stomachs, and they bring the food up Again, so here now, watch his stomach. It just kind of pressed that up. And I'll burp it up here. There he goes, back up the throat, and he chews it all over again, right? So that's what this, this uh, chewing the cud is about. Uh, that, that. And that, you know, really helps to digest it, really make a strong digestion of the food. And, and these animals that uh, chew the cud and have cloven hooves, they're all vegetarians, right? And so really, uh, we're eating those meat, we're just eating it secondhand, right? So we're still getting the grass, we're still getting the herbs of the field, just getting it secondhand. Actually, third-hand, fourth-hand, fifth-hand, after they re it and re it and re it right? Uh, 
And so that's the criteria that God has for the uh, mammals that are allowed to eat. Just those two simple criteria. And so Deuteronomy 14, verse 7 and 8, Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat, such as the camel, because it chews the cud, but it doesn't have the cloven hooves. So it has to have both criteria. Right? Uh, not just one or the other. It's a very simple criteria. And so no camels. So if you have any camel meat in your freezer, right, you want to get rid of that, give that to the dog or something like that, right? So uh, no camel meat. It's not clean. Right? It's not a clean beast, even though he chews the cud. Anyway, it's really amazing because God gave this to Moses, these two criteria. Now Moses, I don't think Moses ever visited Alaska. Right? He never saw a reindeer or a polar bear or never went to South Africa, South America, or, you know, Korea or Australia and New Zealand, lots of places in the world they didn't go. So how did he know, never having seen those animals all over the world, never seen a koala bear, how did he know that these two simple criteria would apply to everything all over the world, right? That was God. That had to be God. He didn't learn it from the Egyptians, right? That was from God. God had to impress him and inspire him and know that these two criteria would take care of everything all throughout the planet, that there'd be no you know, weird thing that would, uh, wouldn't meet this criteria. Very simple, very simple criteria, and it covers it all. And then in, uh, still in this chapter 14, Deuteronomy, also the swine is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. That's how unclean a, a pig is. If it's dead, don't even touch it. Right? Don't even eat it. Swine, pig, right? Different names. Uh, you know, some people don't realize, you know, they've got so many different names uh, for the pig. Uh, we were in a restaurant one time, and, and uh, there was a salad bar there, and they had uh, these, like, bacon bits, and, 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 and someone wanted to know whether it was an imitation or whether it was a real thing. And so they asked the waitress, uh, is this pig? And uh, the waitress said no, and, and then left. And, and so some of the rest of the table weren't convinced about that. And so when she came back around, we said, well, then what is it? She said, oh, it's bacon. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was at the, getting a pizza the other day, and I looked at the, uh, the um, extras that you can put on, the toppings that you can put on, and the first four were all pig. Sausage, uh, pepperoni, ham, or bacon. <laughs> so four different types of pig, or four different parts of a pig, or four different ways of pig that you can have on one pizza. <laughs> so they kind of try to stuff it in everything, but God from the beginning said, no, don't eat the pig. Don't eat the swine. No good thing, from Psalm 84, verse 11, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly? If pig was a good thing to eat, would God have withheld it for 4,000 years? No. Right? That would not be a good God. It was a good thing and withhold it. Some people think that Yeshua died for the pig. <laughs> to sanctify the pig, to cleanse the pig. That's not why the Messiah died. The Messiah did not die to sanctify the pig. And he died to sanctify us. He died to transform us. He died to change us. 
to change our mind, to change our thinking, to change our hearts, to change our desires, to take us from our carnal nature and to bring us back into his divine nature that he originally planned for us. That's why Messiah died, for us to cleanse us and forgive us for the past, for our past mistakes and our past rebellions and our past lusts and evil desires and, uh, and to transform and change that. So then we have pure minds, pure hearts, pure taste buds, pure desires, desiring the things and obedient and submissive to what he says and to what he knows is best for us. That's why he died and sent us the Holy Spirit, was to change us, not to change the pig or anything else. And the pig is just as unclean today as poison ivy or anything else, or as it always was. That is a pig. Now when you look at that, don't you want to just go up to it and just sink your teeth into the back of it and just suck it out? Don't you, don't you feel like that? No one's, no one's, yeah, no one's, uh, no one's salivating over that? And, no? But like we looked at the oranges and, and the peaches and the blackberries, right? Those look delicious. That's because that's how God created us. God created us to want those things and desire it. Now, if a, a wolf or a dog that wasn't fed dog food every day, right, a dog that hadn't eaten in a week or two, uh, or a coyote came up across this guy, what would he do? Oh, yeah, he'd be something, he'd jump into that thing, he would rip him apart and eat him, because that's how he's created. And he's got teeth for that, and intestines and stomach system for that, and you and I don't. And if that dog or that coyote or that wolf walked past that orange grove or that or the peach tree or past those blackberry bugs, he would just ignore it. Right? He wouldn't have any interest in it at all because that's how he's created and how we are created. And so our whole body system is made for how God originally created us, even again in what we were naturally attracted to. Now when it's, you know, changed and made up and, and uh, prepared and packaged and all like that, well then we'll eat lots of garbage stuff that tastes to our taste buds good, but is not good for our bodies. Dr. McNaught found that one of every four pork specimens had living tri uh, trichinosa larvae in it. So if you've eaten pig more than four times in your life, then there's a good chance that you've got some worms in you somewhere. And that very well could be why some of the problems that people have that are undetected, that maybe arthritis and other things and aches, pains and things that are there and unknown because there might be some worms, little larvae inside our muscles and joints and bones. Pork is the highest cholesterol source of all meats. And on they advertise the other white meat. Highest in cholesterol. Did Moses know that? No, probably not. No. But God knew, and God is the one who instructed him of what is best for us. Pork has the highest fat content of all meats. 
Did Moses know that? No. But God knew. Highest cholesterol, highest fat, unclean. God said, don't eat it. We are what we eat. Right? And if we eat fat, we will be fat. And get fat. If we eat unclean, we will be unclean. Isaiah 66, verse 15. Behold, the Lord will come with fire and with chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh. The slain of the Lord shall be many. What does that sound like? What's he describing here? What's Isaiah describing? What event? The second coming, right? The last, the last day, the second coming, right? It's very clear, right? He's coming, he's coming with fire and chariots, right? he's going to destroy and judge, right? The very next verse. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go into the gardens after an idol, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together says the Lord. So from the very beginning all the way through to the end, God says, do not eat the swine. Do not eat the pig. Right? He will condemn and judge those in the end who choose to disobey him and rebel in this area like any other rebellion and he will judge them accordingly. Uh, some people say that uh, well, Paul says you can eat whatever as long as you pray over it. Anything that is food <laughs> that you pray over. And if it's not food, and swine is not food, again, like poison ivy is not food, you can have got praying over your, if you really believe that, pray over your poison ivy and eat that. Or, you know, it's cheap. It's very inexpensive. Right, try that. No, people don't take it that far, right? You know, so they really don't believe it. It's not what Paul, of things that are food, and we're designed this food. God had a design for this, for the pig and swine and other things. We'll see in a minute. But well, not food is not one of what he designed it for or allowed it for. And Peter had this vision. Well, it was a vision. Peter didn't eat any pig. It was a vision to show that no man is unclean. Very clear from the text, if you read the text itself. And talking about the pig unclean. Talking about humans being unclean. Very clear. God's word all throughout. Very consistent. And again, he wouldn't withhold it if it was good, and yet he withheld it. Very clearly, he's withheld it. from us. So it's not good for us. And then in the waters, Deuteronomy 14, verse 9, In the waters you may eat all that have fins and scale. Whatever does not have fins and scale, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. Alright, it's a very simple, again, two, just two criteria for everything throughout the waters. And Moses didn't travel to Lake Superior or every lake in the world, you know, in all the oceans of the world. I don't even know how far into the water he even went. <laughs> uh, but yet God showed him and he was able to determine what would be good for food and what would not be good for food down to the depths of the oceans to the highest lake on top of any mountain, what would be acceptable? Two simple criteria that apply to salt water and fresh water all throughout the world. Really amazing. 
Only a creator God who knows all this stuff would be able to come up with that criteria. And so we see here the things that are lay on the bottom of the ocean, the, the lobsters and the crabs, they, they, they're down on the bottom. And that's where all the garbage goes. And that's what they do. Their jobs, God created them to clean the cockroaches of the sea or the, 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 the vultures of the sea. Right? They're eating it. Would you eat a vulture? Hey, you know, you eat a cockroach? Oh, pray over it. You know, and then okay. You know, it's, at the, it's got a purpose, and its purpose is to clean out the... If, if all the uh, clams and mussels were gone out of the sea all at one time, within a very short time, everything in the water would die uh, because they filter the poisons out of the water. They suck in the water, and then they put out the pure water. And then they're the filter agents. So God has a purpose for them. But eating filters is not their purpose. Right? They are there to clean out the water system, to clean out the junk, to eat all the poop that's in the dead animals and dead stuff that's floating down to the bottom. That is their purpose, not for eating. So the ones that have fins and scales, the scales they're able to uh, get rid of the poisons out of their body better. And with fins, they're able to swim to the cleaner water, the better water. They can swim wherever they want where you're floating, or octopuses, squids, yeah, they can jet propulsion a little bit, but they're not swimming through the oceans, and they're floating along, the, the jellyfish, they're basically floating along with all the garbage. And so those are the ones that God knew, these are not good for you to eat. And without having to show Moses and do a dissection of all these animals, God said it, Moses wrote it, and it still applies, and still is good till today. It shall be a perpetual statue for your generations throughout all your dwellings that you eat neither fat nor blood. So throughout the generations, no fat, no blood. And it says this in several places in the Bible. It says it after the flood. It says it after uh, Moses saying it here. And it's eight different times in the Bible. So for Emphasis, emphasis, emphasis. He wrote it eight different places in the book of Acts as they're instructing the new Gentile believers, do not eat the blood. Do not eat the fat, do not eat the blood. Eight different times. That's a lot of times for God to say the same thing. And he says it for emphasis so that we would not miss it, so that we would know that we would understand and that we would uh, know what's good for us. Because he says the life is in the blood. And the life forces is in the blood. And it represents the Messiah's blood for us. And it's shed for us. It gives us life. He gives us life through our blood system. The oxygen travels through the blood. And everything travels through the blood. So an animal, if he's diseased, those diseases are traveling through the blood as well. And all the endorphins and Emotions are going through the blood as well. And so when he's in a lineup, this cow is in a lineup, it had been penned and corralled and carted and trailered and then shoved together and, and all these other cows are making noise and getting killed before them and they're smelling the blood and smelling the death and they're seeing that and going through that process. I'm talking about a natural farm, you know, a typical processing system and then being beaten and prodded with electric shocks to move them along. It's horrible. If anyone ever watched a video or been to a slaughterhouse, it's absolutely horrible what they go through. 
And all those pent-up fears and anger or energy or, you know, everything in, uh, that they're experiencing is traveling through their blood system and permeating into their, their flesh. And uh, a lot of them are diseased as they're going, again, the, just getting rid of them and carting them off. And so the Bible says, do not eat its blood. Do not eat its blood. The sanctity of life. Do not eat blood. And so you have to go to a kosher butcher. So if you want to follow uh, what God's instructing and go on the allowable diet, so no, has to have, uh, the mammals have to have uh, cloven hooves and chew the cud and none of their blood or none of their fat. So you have to go to like a kosher butcher to get it that was slaughtered correctly to drain the blood and prepared correctly so that it does not have those criteria. Do you think uh, McDonald's does that? Do you think they uh, only uh, think uh, Burger King does that? Or, you know, any restaurant, you think any restaurant that serves? No, right, they wouldn't. So it'd be very, very hard, unless you go again to a kosher, kosher butcher, to be able to uh, do that without, you know, following what the Bible says. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. So Daniel, we have another example of the Bible. God, someone who wanted to follow God and determined to follow God. Now he's not in an easy setting. His nation has been destroyed. His parents, no doubt, killed. Uh, he's taken to a foreign land. He's a slave and he's a captive. So we could say he's forced. He doesn't have free will. But we always have free will. We can always say no. <laughs> we might die, but it's okay. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's portions, the king's delicacies. The king, you think the king's giving him his scraps? The king's giving him the same thing the king is eating. This is a privilege. This is an honor that the king is bestowing upon his captive slave. And the king finds out that Daniel's refusing to eat this nice offer, this generous offer, at least nice from his heart, offer from the king. You know, in any kingdom, any monarchy, no one else is eating like that, you know? This is the king and his, his, uh, his courtroom, and that's it. Everyone else is in poverty level, and yet he's letting these guys eat what he considers to be the most expensive, the best of the crop. Daniel's risking his life. He's really surrendering his life in order to follow in this one area. Do you think this was important to Daniel? Is it important to God? You know, can you imagine if Daniel was to find out, really, yeah, like a few hundred years after I risked my life for this, you go along and change the whole thing? What kind of God are you? Why didn't you tell me it wasn't gonna matter? Daniel was in connection with God. Daniel was praying to God. Well, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. And so Daniel was really willing to risk his life to follow what God said. and would not eat the king's delicacy, nor the wine which he was given to drink. The Bible says a lot about wine. I'm just going to look at one text here. Wine is a mocker. It's from Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Doesn't sound like a good thing, does it? No. Noah was deceived by it. Noah gets drunk, and it doesn't turn out well. 
Lot, his daughters get him drunk. And that doesn't turn out well and have an incestuous relationship and two wicked nations come out of that. Daniel refused the wine. Yeshua refused the wine. He was about to die. They're offering him a painkiller and he said, no, he's not going to take it. He spit it out. He didn't want his mind be clouded. It's where the Holy Spirit speaks to us through our mind. And the wine, the alcohol, or drugs. He's applying them really any mind-deadening uh, and mind-changing drugs. So marijuana, uh, illegal drugs. that affect the brain. That's how the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. And Yeshua did not want his mind numbed as he is making a determination like Daniel to not defile himself, to not give in, to not yield to Satan's temptations. He's willing to go all the way for us, and he'd rather feel the pain and make the right decision all the way to the end. And how much more important for us to have our minds clear. I mean, I don't have many brain cells to begin with. I don't want to lose any of them, right? You know, we need to have our minds clear to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And people say, Yeshua turned the water to wine. Well, today we know. Moses didn't know. Proverbs Solomon didn't know, but we know today of what it does to the brain. They can see the results, but we know physically now how it affects the brain. But statistically, something like at least 30% of people who begin to drink alcohol will end up with alcohol problems. 30%. Could you imagine all the deaths that have come, all the car accidents that have had taken place as a result of alcohol drinking? Would Yeshua be encouraging that at a wedding? And making it the best, they had eaten everything, they were full, and then he brings us in, oh, this is the best, now everyone's, oh, the, the, uh, the host said, this is the best, they're all going to go and and have more. Would he be encouraging drunkenness? There'd be donkey accidents on the ride home? Yeah, could you imagine? That'd be horrible. <laughs> One third of his disciples becoming alcoholics. And if there were 100 uh, people at the wedding, he would be responsible for 30 or so, or even on low, 10, 20, whatever, even one, to become an alcoholic. No, Yeshua wouldn't have encouraged that. He made it pure. And at the Passover, he wouldn't drink it as, as a painkiller. He's certainly not going to drink it because he's going to Gethsemane and going to Via Dolorosa and going to the way of the cross and his death. Wouldn't becloud his mind that night. And as we say the blessing, and we say it still today, the fruit of the vine. Not the fruit of the wine cellar. Fresh, fresh grape juice. In Hebrew and in, and in the Greek, it's the same word, whether grape juice or alcoholic wine. They don't differentiate. But we have to read it in context of which one it's talking about. When it's saying bad stuff, it's a mocker. Don't look at it while it's changing color. It deceives you. He's talking about alcoholic wine. When it's saying uh, it's good and there's a blessing in it and the fruit of the vine, it's talking about the grape juice. And so we have to read the Bible in context uh, for how it applies. And so, yeah, alcohol and the drugs, and other type of drugs, nicotine, caffeine, other drugs that affect our minds and our bodies, 
Uh, it's not what God has for us because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to be deceived. He doesn't want us to be sick. He doesn't want us suffering. He wants us to prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. He loves us as a whole being. He loves us, yes, spiritually, but also mentally and emotionally and physically. He loves us. And so he tells us what's best for us. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. God doesn't want us to defiling his temple. What a blessing. What a privilege. What an honor that God has made you his temple. God has made you his palace. God has made you his dwelling place. That is amazing. Do you imagine you have some guests coming over and, you know, someone that you're wanting to, uh, you know, impress, like let's say you're dating and, you know, your mother, the potential mother-in-law, father-in-law, or someone that you, you want, or someone you love, or someone you honor, and they're coming over to visit. Would you go outside and take the garbage and, and bring it in the house and spread it all over the living room? No. Would you stuff up the toilet and let the water back up? No. Would you defile the house and stink up the house? No. No, you'd clean the house, right? Yeah. You'd want it clean for the guests to come in. The Holy Spirit wants to come inside us and dwell inside us to make us his temple. And so he wants us pure. And it's not what goes in that defiles, you know, if you accidentally ate something you didn't know was in someone, you went over to someone's house. But it's the consciously choosing to know what the Bible says and to consciously say, I don't care what the Bible says, this is what I'm craving, or I was taught some loony thing that God now says it's okay after he said it wasn't okay. And choose to disobey God. That is what defiles. God doesn't want us defiling his temple. He doesn't want us knowingly, consciously choosing to defile the temple that God has made, our bodies, that he has created for us. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. What a privilege. You are his temple, God's temple. Doesn't get any better than that. Doesn't get any more beautiful than that. The New Jerusalem will be beautiful and wonderful, but God says you are his temple. You are his dwelling place. He lives, he lives, I know he lives, because he lives within my heart. And he wants us to act like we believe that and know that. So Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel, very humble, requests this privilege. And the chief in charge of the eunuchs, chief in charge of the slaves, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah and the others, He's now risking his life. He's being asked to risk his life because the king finds out. Wouldn't be good for him either. And Daniel said to the steward, please test your servant for 10 days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Which of the three diets did Daniel request? The ideal diet that he had given for the first 1,700 years, the acceptable diet, or the unacceptable, no diet? The ideal diet. He says, try us on 10 days on the ideal, God's ideal diet. And at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who had eaten the portion of the king's delicacies. The steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So when you see it worked for 10 days, the steward said, okay, hey, you guys are doing better than everyone else. And I have no doubt that God's miracle hand was on that too, but I also have no doubt there was a physical effect. In those 10 days, try for 10 days. Try God's way for 10 days. See the effect. I say, I could never do that. I love these things. I try these, uh, crave these things. Well, you might, but God's able to transform us. And in our own strength, we won't be able to. Maybe for a time, but not consistently and not in heart and mind. But if we surrender it to the Lord, Lord, I give you my taste buds. I give you my desires. Change me, transform me. If you just determine in your own mind, without the Holy Spirit, it works. But with the power of the Holy Spirit changing us, with the natural carnal nature cleansed, destroyed, buried, crucified, and the Holy Spirit coming and living in us, the Holy Spirit can empower us and change us. And that's the miraculous part. And even on a physical level, our taste buds will change within 10 days, 14 days, 21 days, but no doubt within a month of going on God's plan, your taste buds will change. Chinese people, they like Chinese food, right? Mexican people like Mexican food. Right? Now, if you took a Chinese baby born in China, the day he's born, he's adopted by a Mexican family and moved to Mexico and raised on Mexican food, what's he going to like eating? Mexican food, right. So it's not what we're born, it's what we train our taste buds to like. And if you retrain your taste buds, your taste buds will naturally change, but especially with the Holy Spirit and prayer, your heart will be in harmony with it as well. And God will give you the ability like Daniel, to change. And so that was after 10 days, and then after three years, God gave these four young men knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the three years, the king interviewed them and found them 10 times better than all the musicians, magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm, and Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So God blessed. And again, I have no doubt that's miraculous, but also I am sure that the physical change of following God's ideal plan, it helped Daniel and his friends to be better, 10 times better than everyone else in his kingdom. All his educated and, and, and learned and experienced uh, people in his realm he found these four 10 times better, smarter than all the rest in looks and in health. And then he continues a long time. Daniel lives a long time. We don't know exactly how many years, but we know he goes from Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's son to his, uh, Belshazzar to Cyrus and continues in office and smart mind and able to continue to work in political fields all that time. God blessed him. And God will bless 
us as well as we follow his plan that he's laid out for us. Experience in my own life, I, I can't remember the last time I was sick. Now, I may get sick tomorrow, right? No guarantee, right? So uh, it's only by God's grace, praise the Lord. But I don't, I don't remember the last time I missed a service or a midweek service or was sick for anything in a long time. I can't remember the time. God is able to bless with his Holy Spirit, with his promises, with his grace, and with his instructions as well as we follow his word. And so Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And that's where it starts, a choice. Choosing to want to follow God. Choosing not to want to defile the place that God lives in. God's holy temple. God's dwelling place. So that it can be used for his honor and glory. So that we're able to be servants of him and used by him in health and strength. And not even how long of life, but good years of long life, right? That, uh, that the years we live, however long they are, that they're able to function in his strength uh, as long as possible. And not be uh, dependent on the system and having to pray for sick all the time. God has given us instructions that we can be healthy and to be a demonstration of him, to give honor and glory to him and to fulfill his promises. And it starts with that choice. It starts with allowing God to forgive us, to cleanse us, through his blood, take out the sinful desires, and to give us his desires. So in kind of review, a diet rich in fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables, prepared in as wholesome and simple a manner as possible, is the original, eternal, and ideal diet for mankind. If flesh is added, it must have no blood, and no fat. The animal must chew the cud and have split hooves or have fins and scales or not be a scavenger or a raptor bird. I mean, talk about the birds, but the birds say basically anything that's not a raptor or a scavenger bird. Flesh, if added, should be done so sparingly. The fatted calves were for rare occasions. The young boy had only two small fish but five barley loaves in his lunch, right? So we see the comparison there. Two small fish, five barley loaves. Right? In contrast to today, they get all these diets, the Atkins diet, the beach diet, this diet, they're all the same thing. They just keep changing the name <laughs> because they know that people catch on and then they just change and repackage it. But it's the same thing. This low carb, high protein, high fat diet is not what God created for us. And we see that in the boy's lunch. He had high carbs, low protein. And that's what Yeshua basically ate in his life here. And that was certainly much cleaner waters than we have today. So another way in review, neither fat nor bat, neither cat nor rat, neither hog nor dog, neither pig nor squid, neither clam nor ham, neither shrimp nor chimp, neither blood nor mud. How about that, right? So if you got that, then, uh, then you're good to go. <laughs> right? And so we can choose which one. When you look at what the king's delicacies are today, right? they're on the right side. Right? Packaged fluoride and MSG and 
all wrapped and preserved that'll never go bad, <laughs> never rot. And, you know, take these preservatives into ourselves. They don't even have to bury us anymore, I don't think. I think you'll just lay there like you'll rot. Prozac, yeah, you'll need the Prozac and the aspartame, right? Or God's diet for health and prosperity and strength that God has blessed us with. And so as we look at God's choices, as we look at these choices, when we make a decision tonight, the moment when we pray, if you've made wrong choices in the past, thank God for the Messiah, right? Confess it, ask his forgiveness, and let him cleanse you and change you. And so if that applies to you in a moment when we pray, ask his forgiveness for past, whether ignorantly or knowingly, and you want God to forgive you and cleanse you and surrender that to him. Secondly, if maybe you were taught God doesn't care, it doesn't really matter, God changed it, God didn't, the father didn't know what he was talking about, so the son came along and gave us a different thing, you know, some other type of, then surrender that to the Lord, accept his forgiveness, let your brain be washed and cleansed in a renewing of the mind, and to follow the Lord God and his ideal plan, his plan for humanity. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if you've been taught wrong and you want your mind cleansed of that, and walk in his light, then the moment when we pray, you could ask him to do that on your behalf. Third, if you want to change your lifestyle, and it's more than just the foods, it's exercise and sunlight and lots of good water and all the good things. Uh, you want God to put you on a better lifestyle. And like Daniel, determine now to not defile the temple anymore, to let God live in you and through you, to accept the Holy Spirit to come into your temple and to change you from inside out. Then a moment we pray, may it, more be, may it be more than just a determination, but a surrender. Lord, I need you to do it. I can't do it without you. Recreate in me a new heart, oh God. Change me and empower me so I can walk in your ways and by your power and your flesh. So if those areas, any of those areas apply to you, or maybe something else that God spoke to you tonight, you want to allow God to change this area. And let us pray together. Let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise you and we thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you want us to be in heaven forever and to live forever, and you want us to prosper here as well, and you want us to be in health in here and now as well. Thank you for giving us instructions about ourselves about our lives, and about what is best for us. Thank you for making it plain. Thank you for making it simple. Lead and guide and direct in our lives for your honor and glory. Forgive us for our past mistakes. Cleanse our bodies from the stuff that we defiled it with. Redeem the time. Cleanse our minds and our hearts, our flesh. Transform our taste buds, our appetite, our desires. May we see things as you see them, 
those things that are good and holy and just and pure and make us so in mind and in heart and in body and in spirit by your grace in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.